0: Welcome to the Citizens Youth podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of LifePoint Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, check out lpcvan.com forward slash youth. How many of you in here would say that you have a pretty good sense of direction? Yeah, good sense of direction? Uh, How many of you would say the opposite, that you have a rather poor sense of direction? You don't ever really know where you're going. Wow, this is is pretty stacked on one side. Uh, Again, good sense of direction? Uh, Poor sense of direction. Wow. Is this because we're going up in the age of GPS? (laughs) Okay, pop quiz, really quick. Okay. I'm going to point, or I'm going to tell you a location. Okay. Are you tracking with me? I'm going to tell you a location and you have to point where it is, okay? Are you ready for this? Get your pointer fingers ready. Okay. I'll start out an easy one Costco. Costco? Slightly slightly tilted, okay? Um, How about Dutch Bros? There we go. Everyone knows this one. Okay? Uh, the river. The river's that way. <laughs> um, what about Mount Hood? The mountain hood? Slightly crooked. Look, the out-of-towner knows where things are, OK? <laughs> Mount Hood. What about Mount St. Helen's? Oh, wow. You guys? This is amazing. The people who didn't have a good sense of direction are raising their hands with the people who do have a good sense of direction. We have some good leaders here, okay. Um, How about Seattle? North, slightly tilted, maybe this way a little bit. What about the mall? Where's the mall? That way, kind of that way. Wow, guys, give yourself a hand. You guys did a really good job. That was amazing. So I, uh, I tend to pride myself a little bit too much on having a good sense of direction. Anytime I go into Portland, I purposefully don't look at my phone. I don't look at my GPS because if I can get there uh, without a GPS, if I get home without a GPS, that's like a huge win for me. Um, I, have, I love getting lost because when you get lost you find your way home and then you know a new place, right? So, uh, quick story for you guys. Um, uh, Some of you may know right now that I get the privilege to be the sixth grade small group leader. They're like an army. They're like an army of small people that will take you over. Uh, but before this lovely group of people, I got to be a small group leader for another group of people. Uh, that's, we started out in seventh grade. <laughs> they graduated last year. And uh, the one thing you need to know about these group of humans is that we love tea. Tea? Yes. Okay and we're training up a whole new generation of tea lovers! Okay. (laughs) Okay, so we love tea, so we would go, some of our small group events were like going to a tea house and having tea, and they have like little sandwiches and tasty desserts. And so for graduation, we decided, let's take our tea level up a notch. Now, it's not top-notch England 2018. Okay, we're getting there. But we decided, let's take our tea level up a notch and let's go to Victoria, Canada for our small group trip. We took a weekend to Victoria, Canada and we had, do we have this picture, a tea at the Empress Hotel. Wait, go back to the first one. Look at that! That is the Empress Hotel, it's beautiful. We didn't stay there because we don't have that much money. But <laughs> we, uh, we stayed here at the Empress, it was super fun. Okay, next picture. These are our four ladies, the tea was magnificent, the desserts were awesome, the etiquette was held true by Asia alone, and uh, it, was, it was a great time. Anyway, so one day, we, it's the four of us here, uh, it's Tessa, myself, Molly, and Asia, and uh, one day, uh, the other thing you need to know about us, we do like tea, but we're also introverts, okay, so. Uh, when it comes to uh, answering the door, answering the phone, talking to people, it's not our favorite thing to do. So we were in the hotel one night and we had already been walking all around Victoria and we decided that we were too tired and too introverted to go get food. So we nominated Molly as the resident extrovert. So she called every pho place in Victoria to get us some food, she answered the door for takeout and we just sat on the couch. So one day, one of those nights that we want to take out, we didn't want to interact with the public, um, <laughs> we sent uh, Molly and Asia off to go, to go get fa and bring it back. We're like, you go get the food, you get the takeout, bring it back. So they get ready, they put their clothes on, jacket, shoes, whatever, they walk out the door, and Tessa and I are just sitting on the couch, probably scrolling through memes or something, and um, we realized, nearly at the same moment, the, mis- the grave mistake we just made. Two things, two mistakes we made. One, the only people that had cell phones on this trip were Tessa and I. Because Canada, phone thing, you have to get a plan, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, your American plan doesn't work in Canada unless you tell. Okay, so Tessa and I got our phones to work, so we're the only ones with phones. So we sent the two people without phones off into a city that they don't know to find food, okay? We're like both looking at our phone going, oh. And then plan number two, Asia is the most and Or rather, I should say, the worst, and I can tell you this to your face because I would tell this to her face, and she knows this. She is the worst at direction. She has the worst sense of direction. We'd be like, we'd be like getting out of the car, and then we'd go to like the coffee shop over here, and then we'd have coffee or tea, and then we'd get out, and Asia would like walk that way, and we're like, Mm -hmm. we just came from over here. So we sent the directionally challenged no phone, no GPS people, out into the big wide world to figure it out. And uh, it started a little bit of a panic amongst us. Uh, Eventually, long story short, they did make it back. We did have, uh, it was a good night. We didn't have to interact with humans. They did, but we didn't. So they made it back, but think about this. They, it was nerve wracking enough for us. I was thinking like, in those moments, I'm thinking like, their parents are going to kill me. like. They're going to get kidnapped in Canada and we're never going to see them again and this is going to be bad news. So, But imagine, like that's in a city. I mean, honestly, they could find resources. There's got to be a nice human around that they could use a GPS. Imagine for a second the wilderness, like maybe the mountains, maybe you go hiking. right? The stakes are a little bit higher when you're coming to hiking in the mountains unless you're like a really really good hiker, navigator, wilderness explorer, um, you should basically, rule number one, stay on the trail, right? Stay on the trail, there's just a trail for a reason. The things that you see in the news of search and rescue, having to go find people, or someone got lost on this trail, sometimes it is crazy things that happen to really good hikers, but a lot of times it's just people thinking they know what they're doing and they step off the trail they get lost, they can't find the trail again, and they really need search and rescue. I can't help but think that a little bit of that happens in our life, right? Sometimes, you know, we just, we just step off the path a little bit. We find ourselves having wandered into some place and we're like, how, why am I here? How did I get here? Where is the path? Really, what is the path? You know, Jesus and really all of Scripture lays out our path for us, right? He says, that "Your word is a light unto my feet." It's it's the path that we're to follow. It lays out truth for us, and as we turn in our Bibles to uh, Matthew 18, this is where we uh, picked. We started our series last week in this Matthew 18 portion, and really in this piece. Jesus is laying out a couple of things on this path. He's placing a few stones in this path. And one of those is sin. Like, what is sin? How do we avoid it? What is our interaction with sin? And really, the second that goes with it is our community. His church. How do we interact with each other? And he's laying these things out. And last week, we saw that sin is not a game. It's not... A game where you're walking on the trail and you decide to just step off for a moment and get lost. It says, No, sin, you must destroy it before it destroys you. It will kill you. Don't stray from sin. Don't stray into sin. Be careful not to wander. But you and I, we wake up every morning, we look in the mirror, and we realize we're not free from sin. In the sense that we've all wandered into sin. We've all found ourselves on a path in a place that we didn't really want to be. And, and what happens? Is there a search and rescue guide? I mean, up on Mount Hood, if you get lost on a trail or somewhere uh, in the gorge, if you're on a trail like, and you are gone, search and rescue comes and find you. Is there a search and rescue for my life? That's what our text is going to answer today. So here we go. We're in Matthew 18, we're going to start in verse 10. And what we're going to see today is that there is a search and rescue. And when we stray from the path, God rescues us back. Check it out, verse 10. He says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them has gone astray. This sounds like a, like a math word problem, right? How many sheep does he have left? How many sheep does he have left? Whew. I hated word problems too, it's okay. If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it truly, I say to you, He rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Here we go. Talking about sheep today. Aren't you excited? Yes. Meh. All right. So before we get into the sheep, we're going to get there. Don't worry. There's this kind of interesting sentence that comes up first and foremost in this passage. And, And we really got to kind of dig into what this is. So, Verse 10, it says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. Okay, flashback in your memory to last week. Okay, we talked about the little ones. Sam got up here and he was talking about Jesus was teaching in front of a crowd. He was giving a sermon. He was teaching and they asked Jesus, who is the greatest? And everyone's looking around for like the rich man or the guy that's got it all together and he pulls up this little child and he says, this, this little one is the greatest. And what he meant by that, what we saw last week, is that to be a child, to be one of these little ones, is to be someone who has humble trust and obedience, right? They are innocent towards sin. They are a disciple of Jesus. These little ones are a disciple of Jesus. So he says, don't mock the innocent. He says, for I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. God keeps a watch on his kids. He has these little ones, he has these kids that he loves and he cherishes and he keeps a watch on his kids. His eye is on his kids. Notice that he says, don't despise. Don't despise. Despise, uh, despise is this idea of think nothing of it. It's that sound you make when you go Pff. You know that sound? You're like, oof. Right, he says don't despise. We make the pfft sound and the pass off of our hand like pfft when somebody in our life refuses to do something that we're guilty of. Let me give you an example. You go to your neighbor in class. Hey bro, like, can I just copy your homework? And this goes, sorry, I don't, I don't like cheating. I don't condone cheating and you go, what? Right? Or you tell your friend, hey, 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 I know your mom doesn't want you to go with us, but just tell her that you're coming to my house to do homework and we'll go do that other thing anyways. And they're like, I just, I don't feel good about lying to my parents. You go, what? Right, your friend comes up to you and they're like, hey, you haven't, you haven't seen this website? You haven't no okay, dude. You gotta go check this out. And you're like, hey, like I'm not comfortable with what's on that website. And they go, Pfft. what? Right? It's the Pfft. it's the pass off. It's the despise noise. It's like that person is clearly avoiding to do sin. Right? They don't want to do, and you feel guilty. Right? And you just wanna. Pass that off. It's, it's that emotion. But Jesus says, don't despise these little ones. Don't pass off. He says, hold up. Wait a minute. Don't be so dismissive. We talked about how the world loves to take innocence, right? It loves to jade us. It loves to take away the things that uh, make us innocent, to, to cause us to sin. And he says, don't mock these ones because God is near them. God is near the innocent. There's this really interesting phrase where he says, um, he says, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. It's, it's like they have a person representing them and they're in front of God, right? Their angels are in front of God. God sees them, he has his eye on the innocent. When I was a kid, uh, this story came up recently, because my niece did the exact same thing as I did when I was a kid. My niece looks exactly like me. I wish I had gotten this picture because it was awesome. So, um, as a kid, my mom told me not to play with her makeup. Ladies, do you have moms that did the same thing? Maybe she put your makeup on you when you were like one or two. But as a toddler, she was like, don't touch my makeup, right? It was a rule in my house. I wasn't allowed to touch the makeup. I had my little kit of like fake makeup, you know? My niece still uses it to this day, on me, (laughs) Um, and (laughs) so, that I wasn't allowed to to, to touch the makeup. And one day, I remember this scene in like Flashes because I was so young, but I went into the bathroom and I grabbed the mascara. I love that. Okay, so I open the mascara, I'm like two, so you know my hand-eye coordination slash precision is really good, right? And so I'm just like putting on the mascara, like I've seen my mommy do it, you know? And then I like, you know when you are in the middle of sin, I was disobeying my mother, and suddenly you realize what you're doing and that like gut feeling just drops in your stomach and you're like, oh no, oh no. Oh, no, and I try to hide it, and my mother wears waterproof. I don't wear waterproof, which I don't know if that's a sign of anything, but my mother wore waterproof mascara, and so I'm, like, trying to get it off, and I just just smear it. I have big old black eyes like this. There's just mascara all over my face, and I remember just finding the darkest corner in my house and sitting. (laughs) <laughs> just hiding. Like, I think I was in my mom's room, and I turned the light off, and I'm just sitting. And I think I'm sitting by the door so I can see my mother, like, out there. And I hear, hey, hey, Justin, have you seen, have you seen Court? Hey, Court, Court, where are you? Hey, Derek, have you seen Courtney? I don't know. Just have you seen Court? I don't know. I'm like, oh, don't find me, don't find me. And then she sees me peering out the door, and it's like, she just stares at me. And now, I didn't know this as a kid, but she was really trying hard not to laugh because I looked really dumb. So she ran and grabbed a camera instead and took a picture of me while I'm sitting there, like, I am ashamed. <laughs> right? I have these big old black eyes. She has a picture of it. Anyway, my knee like is it was it's classic. My niece did the same thing. We have a side-by-side picture of us doing that. But what is that? I'm two years old. And there's this instinct in a two-year-old. There's an instinct in you and I that when we sin, we hide. Right? We hide. This idea of uh, hiding from God isn't new. What did Adam and Eve do in the garden? They clearly disobeyed their father and they hid. And God went looking for them. He knew where they were. This is so true of then and it's so true of us now. It's like we, we know it We know this theological concept that sin creates distance between us and God. Sin, you know that sin creates distance between you and the other person, right? When you've sinned against your friend, and you know it, you know you're in the wrong, what do you do? You start avoiding them in the hallway. You don't open their Snapchat, because then they see that you've opened it, right? You don't make eye contact with them. You start avoiding someone you've sinned against. When we sin against God, we start avoiding God. We know intrinsically that sin creates distance between us and God. And the reason why God says don't despise, Jesus says don't despise these innocent ones, is because God is not only watching them, but they're near to God. They are close to God. They are near to God. They can look God in the eye. They can see his face and look him in the eye without shame. We should be more afraid of the fact that we can't look at God in the eye sometimes. We shouldn't scoff at those who are near God, but instead watch out for the sin that causes us to to be distant from God. So you say, okay, okay, I get it. Sin, distance from God, innocence, near God, but does this really exist, right? Do the innocent really exist? Is anyone innocent in regards to sin? Like, what happens? We know we're going to sin. So what happens when we wander? What happens when we step off the path? What happens when one day you open your eyes and you see the sin in your hands and on your face and you're like, oh no. What have I gotten myself into? What happens when we're far from God? Is there hope? And that's the question and the answer that this text proposes. What happens when children of God wander from their father. How does God respond to us when we've sinned against him? Let's get to the sheep. Here we go, verse 12. He says, what do you think? If a man has a 100 sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Note the little ones again. He says it again. It's not my will, it's not my Father's will that any one of these little ones should perish. Again, these little ones, these aren't people who have never met Jesus, who have never heard the gospel, and he's going out and finding those who have never heard the gospel. Yes, that is true, and he talks about that in other passages, but here specifically, Matthew In Matthew 18, Jesus is talking about those, you and I, who were near the Father, who are his kids, who were innocent ones, who said, Jesus, I'm following you, and we're looking at him, and we're following him, and we're looking, we're going right in his direction, but suddenly we get distracted, and we turn, and we start wandering away. He's talking about us, Christians who have wandered, and what God does for those. He says, what do you think? Do you think, do you think, put yourself as a shepherd, that you would really leave the 99 good sheep that can have more sheep, right? They can have baby sheep's ewes, right? Would you really leave those 99s that have, to go for the one that's wandered away? Wouldn't you cut your losses? If you have a drawer full of socks, like drawer, open, socks everywhere, socks, right? If you have a drawer full of socks and your dog runs off with one of them, Meh, nah, I have more socks, right? Like, you're not gonna go chase your dog down through the neighborhood, down the house, like, this is, it's a toy now, it's a toy. I have a drawer full of socks, I don't need the one sock, right? You'd be like, ah, does he really go after the 99? You, I mean, what's the big deal? Shouldn't he just cut his losses? But as a shepherd, right, you have a little bit more investment into the sheepy, right? He's probably had this little wee sheepy since he was an ew. I I don't like saying that word, but I also do like saying that word, an ew. Uh, This little sheepy, maybe he hand-fed it as a little sheepy. He helped it grow up. He was there when it walked. And he has a little bit more investment when it runs away. He has a lot of care and energy into that sheep, but it's almost more insulting that it runs away. You're like, I fed you, uh, sheep. Why are you running away from my goodness? <laughs> Have you ever had like someone close to you like turn their back on you? Like someone near and dear to your heart and you guys, you think you're going together, you're on the same pace, and they just, they just turn their back on you? It hurts, it's insulting. And what do you want to do in return? Well, you're gonna turn your back on me. I'm gonna turn my back on you, right? Like, I don't, what? I don't need this. But Jesus doesn't turn his back to us when we turn our backs to him. We do, we wander. We start following him and then we wander and we literally turn our backs to him. But God doesn't turn his back to us when we turn our backs on him. Imagine this for a moment, okay? I need some, um, I was going to say flashback music, but we're going to flash forward. Make some flash forward music. Like, I need some flash forward music. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Okay. So, imagine this for a moment. This might be hard because right now you are the kid with a parent. Okay? But imagine maybe a decade in the future, maybe more if you're younger, you are a parent. Okay? You're a parent. Just imagine... Flash forward. Also, you'd be, you know, farther in maturity there too. So just imagine you're a parent. Okay. Flash forward a decade. You've spent nine months of this child wondering, dreaming what this child is gonna be like. What's their personality gonna be like? What are their passions? What are their dreams? What are they gonna accomplish in this world? What will this little person be like? And then you're there in the hospital room when it cries its first cry and you're like, I will do anything to protect this child, right? You, You run on three hours of sleep because it's crying, right? You run on no sleep because it's sick and has a fever and you just hold its little fevered body to you and just and pray and, and hope that it gets better. When they're asleep, you just watch them sleep because you just wanna see them breathe. You wanna make sure that they're still breathing. When they take their first steps, you're that annoying parent, you cheer the loudest, you're like, yes, he took a step, he fell, but. He Right? And you post it on Facebook and you tell all your friends, like, right now, you have a kid, it's okay. Right, And you cheer so loud. You sacrifice everything. You work harder than you have worked in your whole life. You stick with a job that you would have quit when you were 20. Right? But you stick through it because you have to provide for this little life. You give up everything for it. You go to every play, every band concert. You go to every sporting event. You go to everything that this child is in. You're there for every injury, every scrape, every boo-boo, every sleepless night, every hospital visit. And you're there every time they break their little heart, and you're there to hold it together. You pray over them every night. You give them as much wisdom as you possibly can in the years that you have with them, and then you send them off into the world. Man, you give up your whole life for their life. You give them all they can need to send them out to be who they need to be. But this kid turns his back on you. They begin to resent you. They start insulting you to your face. They seek to insult everything that you are and everything that you've ever done for them. You've never loved me, you've never cared for me, they say. They stop talking to you and they start doing the opposite of everything that you ever told them to do, that you ever taught them. And on top of it all, they start putting their life in danger. That life that you strove to keep alive for 18 years, they start putting their life in danger. You're like, I kept you alive, not for this, right? You try to keep them alive and healthy, but they're willingly putting themselves in harm's way. Our human response in that moment is fury furious, anger. You say, good riddance, you ungrateful child. (laughs) What? We want to turn our backs on the ones that have turned their back on us. And in this story, we are that kid. We are that sheep. The shepherd cares for his sheep. He cares for his kids. He lays down his life for the sheep, as John tells us in his gospel. And if God has a child and he or she has wandered away and she's gone astray, does he not drop everything? Does he not drop everything to find them and bring them home? And when he brings them home, he doesn't beat them with guilt and shame like, you're ungrateful, I did everything for you. You did nothing for me, right? No, he rejoices. Look, it says he rejoices over the child that has come home. Last week, we learned that we fight, we fight to destroy sin before it destroys us because it's not a toy, it's not a game. It's not harmless. It is the enemy. It is a deadly enemy. We do our very best to stay on the path. But when we stray, because we know ourselves, but when we stray, when we're enticed, when we're tempted away to do sin, when we're led astray, and one day when we open our eyes and we look around and we go, oh man, how did I get here? And we realize we've been sin. God doesn't turn his back on us. God pursues us like he pursues that little sheep. When we wonder if we can come home, if our sin has caused God to just completely look away, what Jesus is teaching us here through this little sheep is that when we stray into sin, God rescues us. When we stray from him, when we stray into sin, God rescues us. There is a search and rescue party for your life and it's Jesus. He brings us home. And I don't know about you but if you're a human in here who wants to follow Jesus but knows you're a human who's a sinner, this is remarkably good news. (laughs) Because how many times in my sin have I wondered this time God's not going to take me back. I, I thought, I told him I would have it together, and I lost it again this time. He's not going to take me back. But when you find yourself walking, when you're in this position, right, there are four things that we can do. When you were once maybe facing Jesus, you're following him, you were on the path, you, were, you weren't straying, you were going the right direction, and then, and then something took you off kilter, Right, you got a little moment of praise and suddenly you're like, maybe I am the greatest. Right, and you start wandering into your own arrogance or or you get caught up in this sin or you get addicted to this or you (laughs) harm the people around you. When we are in those moments, just turn. That's literally what repentance is. When we stray away from God, we turn back to him. When you find yourself wandering on the path, we turn we turn towards Jesus, we make a course correction, and we trust, second thing, we trust that our sin is never too great for God to bring us back home. There is nothing that you can do to make God look away in horror. Because when you turn to him, Jesus is who he sees. Jesus, who died for our sins, who took our horrifyingness to the cross, took it to death, who rose to new life. When we turn to God and we say, I'll follow Jesus, God sees Jesus in us. We turn towards him, we trust, and we begin to follow him again. We come home knowing that when we come home, when we repent, there is rejoicing. So many times we think, I can't repent because... God is going to be so mad at me, but when we repent and we turn towards him and we say, I don't want this anymore, I want to follow him. There is rejoicing. I want to end right here on this uh, verse in Titus 3 4. He says, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, when the goodness and loving kindness, this is our God. This is our God. Good and loving. He saved us, (laughs) not because of works done by us, not because you're so good, not not because of works done by us in righteousness, but because, but according to His own mercy. If you find yourself far from God, maybe now, maybe in the future. Take this as an anthem to come home. (laughs) And when we stray, God rescues us. He rejoices when we come home. We turn to him. If you're in here and this is super new to you, (laughs) maybe you've never been a follower of Jesus, you're just trying to figure this out, I want to introduce you to our God. He's a good father. (laughs) He's loving. He has mercy. He is good. And he wants you to be a child to come home, turn and follow him. And if you're in here, and maybe you're in a good spot, like, I'm striving to live for Jesus, watch out for the little ones around you. When someone goes astray, and we're going to talk about this next week, so come back. When someone around you goes astray, don't mock, don't scoff. Be like the Father and call them back home chase after the little ones that have gone lost. We're a family, we're together. Our Father in heaven is a good God.